0: For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? Welcome to an unfiltered episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles Um, i tell you what, I was, I was excited there for a little bit for shed hunting. Uh, last week, I went uh, shed hunting with a buddy of mine on a brand new property that he had access to. Actually, his dad bought it, um, and it is, you know, I felt real good for the guy. He, he's a friend of mine, and I, I walk, it's like 200 acres, and I walk it with him, and it is absolutely a money farm and we did some shed hunting and uh, i'm going to talk about some some shed hunting type uh not necessarily the strategy of shed hunting on how you can find shed antlers but how you can what i do if i find a shed and what that typically means for the strategy of locating deer movement or locating um you know, or, or locating a specific deer. And I think a lot of it's going to be revolving around a specific deer. But with that said, I went out, did some shed hunting, found some sheds, had a real, you know, know, had a fun time. And at the same time, uh, here in Iowa, yesterday it snowed like six inches. So I had my schedule kind of cleared for the, for the afternoon to get out and go to the the farm that I have up close to my house and do some shed hunting on it and some of the like uh, public land down here. But now we have all the snow on the ground again, which makes things real difficult. So now what do I have to do? I have to wait until it all you know it all comes up and it, or it all melts and, and goes away, so I can get out and start shed hunting. However, with that set said. I still have deer on trail camera that are holding both sides. Now, nothing gigantic that I would be interested in shooting, but some of some of this can be an indicator. Uh, there's multiple bucks on camera that uh, are still holding both sides, and that can be an indicator of when it's time to get out and go do some shed hunting. So with that said, I haven't had any... You know, real desire to go out to this farm because I do have trail cameras on it and most of the deer are still holding and here it is you know you're listening to this on March 9th so I don't know man we'll see what happens hopefully this warm spell we're supposed to get this week and the rest of the week doesn't um, hit with another cold front coming through and bring any you know any more snow I'm just kind of over snow this year especially on the scoop that I just did on my driveway it was one of those really heavy Type snows, so it sucked uh, to scoop it, and uh yeah, so there's that. Now, what else? Oh, I gotta do a little housekeeping real quick. Just a couple reminders: I have been launching a um, my South Dakota slash Nebraska mule deer and whitetail hunts on the Sportsman's Nation YouTube channel. So make sure you guys not only are subscribed to the YouTube channel, but go give those videos a look. Um, the last two i just launched one today but the the other ones are just kind of what lead up to me killing my buck in south dakota and then uh, some other just really cool how i hunt you know it's it, it's not really how to it's just me documenting my hunts for fun and uh it, it's just it shows what i do on when i'm out there and i had an absolute blast doing it and uh, hopefully you guys uh, in, enjoy those videos so go check those videos out uh on there and then while you're on there, check out some of the cooking videos that I've done as well. So uh, there, there should be more video content coming up on a regular basis now that uh, the season's over. I'm gonna put out some more cooking videos and I'm also going to be uh, probably some some strategy type videos. Uh, I, I got a really good feedback from the whiteboard Whitetails that uh, uh, basically strategy that I put down on a whiteboard. And so we'll see how that all works. But other than that, we got a really good episode today Uh, and it's just going to be me bullshitting. It's an unfiltered episode. So hopefully you guys enjoy it. But before we get into today's episode, I do want to talk about four of our partners here real quick. First one is Novex. Now I have tried real hard to try to get Novex on the uh, I'm trying real hard to get those guys. They're really busy right now with the, the brand launch and, um, and getting everything, like all their loose ends tightened up. But I'm sure they're going to come on and uh, talk about the transition from, you know, Lone Wolf not being a thing anymore and um, Novex coming on to the market and hanging, you know, and, and taking over uh, the, what Lone Wolf was doing, basically. So the stands, the functionality, the Made in America, all the same for the most part um their smaller stand which was the assault now it's called the Hilo. it it has some really cool weight reduction on the platform it kind of cuts in a little bit and it looks like it's some weight reduction they have the echo which was the alpha so the same you know the same functionality and the the what makes these stands so awesome is the left to right leveling and I think some people call that the back wing. It's the bracket that's up by the seat and it allows your stand to not only level uh, forward and backward but right and left. So when you're in a crooked tree, let's say leaning left, you can have your uh, you can have your bracket off to the left and it, it basically makes the seat and the the posts stick straight up and you can be more comfortable. You're not leaning with the tree, right? So, and and it's better to be in the tree that's going to give you the shot as opposed to a straight tree, which you you might be off and and wishing at that point. So go visit novexoutdoors.com. I'm a huge fan of the Hilo and the four sticks. That's how I roll. Next is uh, Vortex Optics. Man, these guys are going to be bringing to market some cool products here pretty soon. I'm actually going up to their uh, factory and, or not their factory, Yeah, I guess it would be a factory slash warehouse slash uh, headquarters up in Wisconsin on on April 8th. A lot of content coming out of that visit about their products along with some cool stories from the guys that uh, uh, work there. Great group of guys and that reflects on their product and their company, right? They have awesome customer service. They have they have probably the best warranty in optics on the planet. You break it, you send it in, they fix it for free and send it back to you. You can't beat that. Um so go visit vortexoptics.com, rifle scopes, red dots, binoculars, rangefinders, spotting scopes and uh read up uh, about their VIP warranty, man. It's uh, amazing and like like I said, great company. Excalibur crossbows I will be I will be picking up an Excalibur crossbow for my family this summer at some point um I'm not looking for anything crazy fancy I'm looking for an introduction crossbow for my uh for my family uh so kids can use it uh my wife can use it if she wants um if I guess I ever decide to pick up a crossbow I'm not really in that Point of my life right now, but uh, uh, Excalibur's been around for 30 years, and th- they have stood the test of time because they have um, they have put out a very quality product, and they have amazing customer uh, service. Again, it's it's the people that make the product, so. Uh, and you can take that in multiple ways. So uh, ExcaliburCrossbow.com, go take a look at their offerings. And last but not least, uh, Exodus Outdoor Gear. I talked with Jake at the Iowa Deer Classic it was, uh, this weekend. It was great to catch up with him and uh, BS a little bit about how uh, their cameras are doing and all that stuff. So if you're looking for a trail camera, and this is all I want, a trail camera that works, right? They have a great team of people behind them. Then you need to check out ExodusOutdoorGear.com. You can take a look at all of the products that these guys offer. They have the they have the lift, they have the uh, the render, they have the trek. Now the trek is one of those cameras that's uh, it's more affordable, less features but more affordable. I have a handful of these, and these are the cameras that I go and I leave out in the woods uh, for you know once the once the season's over, I leave the treks out in the woods and then i go collect them in the spring when i'm either turkey hunting or looking for sheds or mushrooms and that tells me what what's happening after the deer season so all that intel is important they also have a a render and they call it the sp18 which is a solar power panel that you can collect to your or connect to your uh, trail cameras um you know really 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 good products so uh exodusoutdoorgear.com go check them out and now me snapping my here's here's my bad hand here's my good hand No, notice any one's a sharper anyway shed hunting right now here's here's the thing that i see this time of year like people are stretching when it comes to strategy and, and who knows this could be a really short episode i'm good at talking so i'll probably drag it out but What we have here is shed hunting and people are, for some reason, trying to connect shed hunting to hunting strategy. And yes, you could potentially connect the two. I don't think it happens a lot because I do think core areas shift, especially when you know, there's a lot of snow on the ground or food sources run out or, you know, the acorn crop goes away and there's none left, you know, there's none left for the winter months. So what do they do? They have to relocate and it could be a mile. It could be half a mile, could be a quarter mile, but they're relocating at some point throughout the the year their core areas shift Um, vegetation and stem count changes obviously uh, throughout the years and uh, or throughout the year and so what we have here is you know i don't think finding a shed is a good representation of a and i'm going to say this core area now if a deer drops his shed and you find it then you found it in his area but i don't think when we, when we fast forward to the hunting season, unless you have a ton of standing corn or um, food plots or you have the ability to hold and manage deer on your own property, finding a shed isn't as important or of, a, of a, a data piece as it would be if you did own all of your own property. Okay, So if I had 200, let's just say I had 200 acres standing corn. or or food plots or you know the deer, and i had great uh timber stand improvement and you know high stem count and i had water i had everything a deer needs their core area in on this farm is obviously going to be smaller and i say that outside of the rut now we all know crazy things happen outside of the rut but for the most part these deer are sticking to one spot where they feel comfortable and if there's food and there's water and there's cover and there's uh you know, low pressure, then they don't need to go anywhere. Right. So you take that, you take some of those things out of the equation. Let's, let's say food, for example, you take food out of the equation, maybe a food source dries up, the crops get tilled under, um, The acorn crop runs out. It's not quite that time for the buds to start coming out of the ground or on the trees. So they're going to be going and looking for a more suitable food source. And then they start to wander across the landscape. And that's when potentially you could find a giant shed on the property you have access to. Or maybe a deer that you're following leaves for a while and disappears. And you don't know where he dropped his shed. He just happens to show up in that next, you know, the next spring. uh, Let's just say summer when the velvet starts to grow back. So this, and and I'm going to put this into context here. This weekend, I went shed hunting with a buddy on a property that he just, or that his dad just purchased. So he uh, has access to it. And we went out shed hunting. I found four sheds, um, and I'm trying to, and I, I was sitting back before I was recording this episode, trying to figure out if those sheds meant anything as far as where I found them, okay? This is a farm that is, a, it, it's a great piece of property, it has great cover, it has water, the food, uh, the, all the ag fields are tilled under. All of the, there, there was some acorns in the, in the timber. Um, I think neighboring farms may have had some food plots. So there was definitely food in the area, but combined, I think we only found five or six, I think we found six sheds total on 200 acres. And some of it was early, you know, it was a little early. So the deer, you know, and like I said, down here, the, the deer haven't really dropped yet. So, or where I'm at, the deer haven't all dropped yet. But what I'm getting at is, um, I think they were moving around looking for food, and I and maybe not long distances, but where did I find these sheds? Okay, so the first two sheds that I found, and where I found them, to me indicated something. Okay, I found them in a, which would be a south or excuse me, a north facing slope full of thickness i mean it was crazy thick right up on kind of top of the of this uh this ridge bedding area galore tons of uh, deer poop tons of beds in this area found the sheds now they were a year old so they weren't fresh but still finding a shed means a buck was there at some point point. and so so i'm looking at the the terrain and i'm saying okay this is a good bedding area. This is a um this would be perfect for a a south wind because the slope is facing north. And so it's great habitat. And and I would say this is where the deer are bedding they have multiple uh, access routes to get in here to escape especially on a south wind i bet you they could feel real comfortable and so it's really less about where the the where you find the shed but more but more about the terrain feature that this shed is in is it in a bedding area is it in a i found the shed in a bedding area i found the shed in a pinch point I found the shed in a travel route from bedding to a food source, or I found this, this in a food source. So it's one of those things where it's great to find the shed, but it's, I feel like it's less about the actual shed. It just lets you know that a deer was there at some point. Now, if this is a if this is a deer that you've been chasing for a handful of years, or maybe it's a three-year-old that you say, you know what, I'm gonna let this I'm gonna let this three-year-old go for a year, and I'm I'm just gonna try to follow him this year and hopefully try to get him as a four-year-old or or whatever the whatever your strategy is for a particular deer, then you can take that, then you can just, I guess, use it as a reference. I don't think it necessarily is going to tell you that a, uh, a a deer is going to do something that makes him killable, especially in March, right? Like the everything's changed. Come October and November, right, and then you throw the breeding season into it, and uh, so where a deer actually is um, uh, moving in October and November. I think it has a little, very little to do with where the the shed is. Now, what this will tell you, though, is like, hey, this deer is here. I have trail camera pictures of him here. I have uh, pictures of him in December here. I, I saw him from the tree stand here, and I found his shed here. So, one thing that I do, and this is this is kind of crazy, and one thing it kind of reminds me of is. Uh, Charlie from it's always sunny in Philadelphia when he's trying to figure out like he he's working in a mail room and he, and he thinks there's some kind of conspiracy theory going on. So he's got all of the um, he's smoking cigarettes. He's drinking coffee. He's got all this stuff kind of plastered to a wall strings connecting certain news articles and pictures and it's just craziness. So one thing that I do is I'll take a map and I'll lay it out and I, I do this for a particular deer. And so every Every data point is a dot. And so a trail camera picture of this particular buck here, dot. Uh, found his shed here, dot. I uh, got pictures of him over here, dot. Saw him from the tree stand here, dot. So then what I'll do is I will take those dots. And from one dot to all the other dots, I will create, I will draw lines. And I'll do that for all the dots. So then you have... Once you're done with it, you have some kind of uh, like very shitty, awkward star looking thing. But what this does is it creates a shape or an area that this deer calls home, right? I would I would use this shape to identify his area, his air, core area. So in 2018, I did this, right? I had a, um, I think it was October 1st. I went and checked some trail cameras and I got a picture of a buck that was a four-year-old the previous previous year. He blew up. He was still in velvet. The picture was from September and it was only one picture of him. I only had one one series of three pictures from this particular buck. I knew who he was though. I knew that I found his shed the previous year. I had pictures of him over in different areas of, the, uh, of where I found his sheds, Uh, I had pictures of him from the previous year down that same fence line. I had pictures of him, uh, to the West a little bit, but for that particular year, that's all I had of him. That's all I had. So from the trail camera picture to the shed, I drew a line from the trail camera picture to the picture from the previous year. I drew down that fence line. I drew another line and then I connected the two. So what that does is did is it, it created a triangle, a three point triangle. So then what I did was I, in this, in this triangle, the, the trail camera pick of him from that year in velvet in September was the point of the triangle. And then it kind of went out to the base and it created this weird, this weird triangle. But I looked in that long skinny triangle for, uh, for, a terrain feature that would funnel deer movement. And so I found it. It was this long draw that led up to a uh, a field edge kind of curled in and what it did was it created a spot where deer could kind of walk into and they could scent check an entire field with based off whatever wind direction whether it was from the east or the north, it would all kind of funnel down into the slow spot and then funnel down into the um, funnel down into the draw so a deer could work up this draw and not even need to go look into the field. They could scent check it and know, hey, there's either deer here or maybe there's a threat here. So what I did was on a south west wind, I I kind of went in from the side and set up right along this edge where this edge uh, real thick fence line opened up into the timber creating some edge and that met the uh that met the terrain feature of that long draw and then it just got thicker in as you got up into the field and sure enough i i went and i was kind of struggling locating deer that year and that's what made me print out a map draw those Uh, arrows into it you can do it now with hunt stand but print out a map do it and just get a visual of what you're looking at so you can go uh, you can go on hunt stand too and do the same thing or any mobile app draw a line and in that highlighted area or in that area i looked for that terrain feature and i just went and set set up on it looking for it sure enough there was some sign when i walked in this was a run and gun setup Uh, i walked in right after a rainstorm, like the last raindrop hit. And I was, you know, taking my, I don't remember if I was taking it, my, I think I was taking my raincoat off and he showed up at like four or three fifty or something like that. And sure enough, that buck showed up. It was the only deer I saw that entire night, but he showed up in that terrain feature right there. So that is an example of, and I shot and killed him, but That was an example of using a shed as a data point. Now, if I did the same thing and made this, you know, I I take that, uh, I took that shed out of the equation, I probably still would have been hunting there, but it didn't hurt, right? It it helped me triangulate a position of, of a terrain feature that I felt this was in this deer's shape or this core area that I established. And I set up there. And so I feel like, it's probably overboard and you might not be able to do that all the time because sometimes you can find a, a a deer shed in the middle of a field and obviously that deer is been in that field, but you don't really know what direction, especially if it's a a not turtle uh, food source. But what you can do here is so I, um I, I, did that little mapping, uh, experiment and it worked for me. Would I do that all the time? Probably not. Uh, but as far as that particular time, that shed where I found that shed led me to making a move several months later on a deer that I had history with now, I, that would, that would probably work, um, if you're after one specific deer. Right, but for me, if I take if I take that into equation, deer uh, into into the equation, multiple deer, or you have a hit list of several deer, I, I I may not be doing that. I did that for two two bucks, that buck, and then two two years later, when I was chasing that giant, um, like a, a two hundred and twenty incher, that I have no idea where he's gone. I'm pretty sure he's dead. But with that said, I feel like that data point was important. And will I do that all the time? Probably not. I I don't really take into consideration a shed being a a driving force in my hunting strategy. Terrain features are driving forces. Food sources are driving sources. Wind directions are driving sources. Um, Precipitation is a driving source. For me, temperature, moon phase, two things that don't really... Uh, don't really get me fired up i'm gonna if i'm gonna if i have time to hunt i'm gonna go hunt no matter the temperature and no matter the moon phase but wind direction has a direct implication to where i set up food source has a direct uh implication to where i set up and terrain feature probably the biggest and, and most weighted um category of where and how i set up now terrain feature with uh mixed in with a uh uh, wind direction is very important. Okay. So that's how I, that's how I make all my decisions. But as far as sheds are concerned, not really, man, because I'm not, I typically don't hunt one particular deer unless I have that deer pegged and I have tons of information, uh, whether it's past encounters or seeing them from the tree stand or having, um, uh, history with this deer in some way, shape or form shed may help. But it's not a like I said, it's not a huge determining factor. Factor, just that one instance is how. Now, what 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 have we learned over the course of this podcast and all the other hunting podcasts and blogs and videos is that there's more than one way to skin a cat, right? That that time that worked for me, that may not work for me uh, another time. It actually could potentially be a a hindrance if that shed was found so far out of this deer's area that I, I started hunting terrain features that were between where all the data points were and where I found the shed that I am basically thinking he's there, but he's more closer, you know, he's, he's closer to this core area. Therefore I would have to look at that closer to that core area to find terrain features that led to, uh, you know, that, that, would be closer to where I think he, uh, where he lives. So now, that incoherent rambling that you just heard about that specific story and how sheds, you know, were important for that particular example, but not necessarily how I base my hunting strategy. It's, it's a culmination of everything that you find that leads us to be successful in the woods on a consistent basis. And I don't think, see, how do I put this? I think that everything matters. Like every everything matters like sign, historic data, um, terrain features. Uh, like for me, like I said, moon phase and temperature don't play a huge impact into how I make my decision. Precipitation does, access routes do, wind direction does, uh, time of year does, and I think if you're gonna if you're gonna mess around with historical data, it's good to keep some of that stuff in the back of your head, but don't rely on it too much because, as we all know, that sh- that stuff can shift throughout the throughout the years like a a, a deer's core area may shift there could be and there's a tons of examples of this power vacuums right the dominant buck lived in this area for three years he was taken out by either another buck or um uh, in this example a power vacuum would be when a dominant buck is removed from the landscape from a hunter there's doe groups that are in there and another buck is going to move into that area and he's going to call it home and he's going to try to dominate that area. He's going to try to show show that. And I've seen that work where um, I had a buddy, he was chasing a, a, a dominant, big dominant buck. He took it out of the landscape and then that rut, when all those other, when that buck was gone, trail camera pictures of all these mature bucks coming into the area basically jockeying for position in that october time frame to take over that that area and that i think that was probably one of the best uh Best years he ever had from as far as seeing deer because uh, he he took one out and he had a landowner's tag and he he was just seeing trail camera pick after trail camera pick and from the stand just deer cruising all over the place trying to jockey for position on on this new farm and eventually one comes in that that power vacuum kind of that movement from other deer kind of settles down they found out hey I live here now you stay away and they and then that's a good problem to have by the way right uh, one dominant buck he grows up he feels comfortable he stays there you take him out another one moves right in or you know his son moves in and you just have this repeating cycle of of you know mature deer just staying on the the farms that you hunt. So, and sometimes that that uh, dominant buck isn't always the biggest antlered buck or even the oldest. Man, I've seen I've heard guys going, man, I'll be honest with you. I shot this this 2-year-old or this 3-year-old this year because he was very aggressive to all the deer and just chasing them all out and saying, "Hey, stay away from me" and and being aggressive and age nor, you know, body size probably has something to do with it. But antler size doesn't necessarily have anything to do with it. Uh, if you have a big three year old who's very aggressive, man he'll he'll he won't be afraid to go push a four year old around or an older deer around, especially if that deer is kind of calm and not aggressive and things like that. So whatever the the rant there was, hopefully you guys found it, found it informative. But um, back to the strategy kind of things this time of year, and I've, I've already mentioned this. Um, so on my buddy's farm, I found those two sheds. They were in a bedding area. I will, I would look at that and I'd say, okay, these two deer, if those sheds just happened to be from a deer that I was following or knew about, I would definitely take that into consideration saying, okay, he's here. He's in this area. Maybe put a trail camera or a tree stand or in, in that area and get something in there so that when the time comes, you, you can get in there and you don't have to mess around with it now on public land that's obviously uh, a different story but um if you have access to the the private ground and you can set up in advance i think i think that would do great now the biggest shed i found from a deer that the the guy told me he has hundreds of pictures of and it's a it was probably it it was a big shed and i ended up giving it to him because it's his farm but uh i had access or uh I found this shed in kind of a weird spot. Based off of everything I know about deer hunting, I wouldn't think that 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 deer would be going, let's say the finger ran from the east into the field and and then came out out of the the west. So it went low ground east, high ground west, and, and it looked like the deer was on a trail that was just kind of sitting or on a, that kind of cut through there. And from my experience, deer don't necessarily go through, you know, they don't take these crazy shortcuts. They go path least resistance, or they'll, they'll walk on that military crest that we always talk about um, trying to, they're not like, they're not doing these hard right angles through, uh, drainages they're not going straight down then straight up they may angle or things like that but they're not necessarily um they're not necessarily uh um they're they're not how do i put this they're not uh just walking straight lines through through this and that's what it looked if i had to guess that's what this deer did now where did i where i found the shed unless he was i I don't know. Something tells me he was he was cutting across it, not going up it. And so, just because there was a, another big little divot in the landscape, there was a down tree. It was kind of tucked in there. Um, there was no sign of a bed, just kind of wide open timber uh, in this particular area. And I said to myself, "Man, this is an awkward place to find a shed. Like I don't find many sheds where this shed was at." And so that tells me he was just kind of moving through the area. Maybe he, something spooked him. Maybe uh, uh, earlier that week, uh, his brother was out there on just taking four-wheeler rides with the kids. And maybe he got up and he, he ran across. But what that does tell you is that deer is on that farm in March. And so that's good for the landowner to know because once he starts putting more food in, because their, their plan is to put more food plots in, um, do some, probably do some timber work in there and things like that. This deer's still going to stay there, uh, throughout the year. He's a homebody buck. He's there all year round and he doesn't go very far, which is awesome knowledge to have when you are trying to manage deer on your property. You know, this buck is going to stay here in this area. And then as the, you know, as the, the season gets closer and you start, um, uh, monitoring your trail cameras, uh, in that September, know, uh, August, September, uh, early October timeframe, you're going to be able to see where this deer is at and then move in on him. But I don't think that that particular shed was going to give me any type of information of where I would, where the best likelihood for me would be to set up to try to kill him. I just, I, the only thing it really does is saying, Hey, This deer is here in March and he's also here in November and October and December and whatever. So he's, he's a homebody buck. And that, that was the indication that we got from all the information that, uh, the landowner shared with me, all the trail camera picks, um, and and things like that. So it's cool to, uh, it's cool to know that, but as far as a strategy standpoint, it's, you know, for me, I wouldn't be making any huge impacts based off of where that particular shed was found. So. The whole point of this is um, keep an idea where the shed was found too. And I think that will indicate whether or not you should use that knowledge for a strategic tree stand placement or or, uh, an ambush for a hunting location. Sometimes it might, sometimes it not. 50-50 rule. Um, or you could just not listen to anything that I say. So (laughs) I, uh, I, I, I hope I did a good job of expressing what I'm thinking. Um, one thing that I do, I don't think I'm very good at is explaining my strategy, how and why, like the, what my decision process looks like. And for me, sometimes it's even very difficult because for, was it 17 years now? see, 2006, it's 15, uh, yeah, something like that, whatever. So 16, yeah, so like 15 to 17 years now, I've uh, been running this calculation in my brain constantly of where I need to set up, how I set up, wind direction, terrain features, food sources, um, if it's going to rain or not, like time of, you know, whether it's an afternoon hunt, it, it it comes it does really come natural for me now. And what I mean by that is I just I react instead of overcalculate. And there are times, don't get me wrong where I still overcalculate, but um, that that overcalculation typically leads me to the same spot as my as my initial reaction does. So take that everything that I've just said with a grain of salt, I hope that it uh, allows you, you know if you do find a really good shed or you find a shed period or you know just just think of what that deer is doing open your mind think of where he's at do you have history with this deer where else was he at try that trick um, try that little mapping experiment where you put all the dots on a map draw lines to all the other dots come up with this shape and then within that shape Identify some awesome hunting locations and terrain features, and I think that that would that would help people out a lot. That's that's really all I wanted to to say, and I can't say that in one minute and then call it a podcast. So thanks for listening to all the other bullshit that that went along with this uh, with this uh, episode. So again, thank you guys very much. Go check out the Sportsman's Nation YouTube channel. Uh, new videos have just been launched there of my South Dakota and Nebraska mule deer hunts. Um, please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. Novex, Vortex, Exodus, Excalibur, stand Wasp, and Ozonix. Uh, also, be sure to subscribe to the Sportsman's Nation uh, Whitetail Hunting uh, RSS feed. And all this information is going to come to you along with some other cool information. And support all the other uh, podcasts that are on the Sportsman's Nation network. Last but not least, please... its it's time where we have to really support our hunting brothers and just because they hunt a different species or in a different state than you two than you do doesn't mean that we can't support them we really do do need to support all of our 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 brotherhood here and that uh, means sometimes you got to stand up for something that you don't even You don't even do and because once that's gone then they're gonna go attack something else then they're gonna attack something else and then they're gonna attack deer hunting and uh and and don't be surprised when all of a sudden it's just like uh deer hunting's gone yeah it's because we weren't concerned about the other stuff the low-hanging fruit and then all the low-hanging fruit's gone and then it's just the one thing left and uh you know a lot of people say that will never happen well ask some of the guys who um you know some 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 uh, sporting dog type predator hunting is gone they love to do that bear hunting in certain states is gone and so um uh, they, they probably didn't think it was going to happen either so we have to stand up for each other and if you're out be safe, have fun, involve the family, take a deep breath and absorb and enjoy mother nature. She can, she can solve a lot of your problems if you just let her. And, uh, I'll tell you this, man, uh, good vibes in good vibes out. And we'll talk to you next time.